0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's bonus episode this month. Uh, I'm Thomas, your DM for ICAST Fireball, and joining me today we have...
1: Ned, your DM not for Icast Fireball, but also a DM who I guess has some stuff to say about DMing.
0: <laughs> with this bonus episode for the month, we're going to be doing a new segment or rather introducing a new segment of the show. We have thought long and hard, looked over all of our books, combined our knowledge and decided to call this segment Commune with Dungeon Master. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a very good spell. It's a very very good spell. Comes from all the other spells Commune with Nature and we thought, "You know what? It might be nice to commune with the geeky man in the corner uh every once in a while while you're playing the game so Mm -hmm. uh commune with dungeon master and welcome to this new segment we have been getting a lot of requests from fans via email via uh the discord via online there's people reaching out to us any way that they can asking these questions and some of them are short enough where we've been able to answer them one off uh quickly but some of the others uh ned and i would like to dive in a little bit more and we'd like to talk about them and uh, explore options with each other and explore them with you listeners. So thank you for joining us on this segment. Now, our first set of questions that we've got, this fan, referred to as DIY, sent three questions in. Now these questions don't focus on one in particular aspect of DMing, so we're going to be possibly touching a few little moments here and there. So, the first question that we have is, how do you keep track of all of our NPCs that we uh, work with in a campaign? pain, whether it's stats, stat blocks, accents, spell lists, etc., which Ned, I don't know about you, but each one of those, uh, et there is, is kind of its own bit of organization for me as a dungeon master here. Uh, but let's talk about stat blocks because that's probably the easiest one, right, Ned?
1: Yeah. Like on the two different sides of portraying an NPC, you've got the mechanical side and you've got the sort of character playing side. And the mechanical side is pretty straightforward. You just write down the name of the stat block of that NPC. I mean, if you want to get really fancy, you could homebrew a stat block for them, or even like I've done in the past, make an entire like player style character sheet for them, which I don't do anymore because it's too much work.
0: (laughs) But I have done that as well. And and there is like uh, some great joy in doing that as well, of getting those stat blocks. And uh, if you want to incorporate a truly unique NPC mechanically using mechanics already built out for players and then using them for an npc as well in fact i did that for um malamar's brother when she was in her dream sequence before the bloody bowl um she had this dream where she went on a hunting trip with her brother and the brother fought with her i Created a character sheet for her brother that I used. One because I've always wanted to play a Battle Master fighter, (laughs) but two to make sure that he was up to par with her abilities and her standard.
1: Mm -hmm. And as far as like keeping keeping track of the specific stat blocks, like having them ready to reference during a session, I don't do too much. Like I know that there are some people. I think Jeremy Crawford, in fact, has mentioned that what he'll do is he'll like go on D and D Beyond, find the stat block he wants, take a screenshot of that and put it in his notes for a specific section. And so that way you're not like flipping through books over and over again. And that is a smart way of doing it. But (laughs) the way that a lot of my players tend to play the game, it's not as practical for me because very often during the course of a session, you know, they'll run into people who I didn't think they were going to fight to, And turns out they're actually going to be fighting those people or they just might not even run into the person. So I don't know. I personally, as a dungeon master, do like to keep things a little bit more analog, like kind of a combination of digital and physical. I have all of my books that I reference regularly, like my monster manual is always right over there. If there's a stat block that's in a specific adventure, I'll have that with me right there. Yeah. So I do kind of brute force it a little bit more. Um, just kind of flipping between pages as I'm running my combats, but there are, I will readily admit, much smarter, more efficient ways of doing it.
0: <laughs> right, and that brings up a really good uh, point that you have, which I think we should have prefaced this whole episode and this entire segment. Everything that we say in this segment, Community with Dungeon Master, is just our experience with our specific play groups. right? <laughs> if you have a play group that is approaching D&D as a very linear, they want it to be linear, they want to be led and told where to go and what to do, and they don't want to go past a certain point. Which I have played with those people, and they really enjoy being told where to go, what to do, and just them experiencing the adventure as written. Then it'll be really easy to take those screenshots. It'll be really easy to um, maybe have the book next to you with a couple bookmarks, right? But then you have the more creative types, like uh, I cast Fireball, and uh, I would say if you haven't gone to improv tabletop and listened some of those campaigns they jump around a lot when they go to character to characters. Then it, it does require like in the moment, Googling, grabbing that information, things like that. I will say for iCast Fireball, we have the benefit of playing online and it's a published adventure. Those two big things are beneficial for us, one, since we are online, I can Google. I can grab stat blocks offline. There are a lot of free resources for Monster Manual stuff. However, um, there is, you won't find everything in the Monster Manual online for free, uh, just due to licensing and uh, legal purposes. But since we have bought Tyranny of Dragons through Roll20.net, that allows me to have all of the stat blocks that are in that published adventure readily available. So if I need a stat block for Arithitor, uh an adult white dragon, I can Google enroll20.net, his name, uh, I say Google, I, sh- I can search his name, <laughs> and then I can click the stat block and then boom, it's right there. I, and I can even pop it out of that web browser and move it to another uh, my third screen that I'm using. So that's a good point. Uh, if it's just standard straight from the Monster Manual, easy peasy bookmark Uh, i still have the books next next to me as well but uh, a lot of times i just am uh, searching in roll 20 if it is specific to that adventure
1: yeah and another kind of general thing like this is if you have the means for it i know that buying physical books and buying digital copies of the books is more expensive but if you have the means and you can have both of them handy it's really nice it is because i i will often have like my adventure book will be right there in front of me and i can make sure that i'm on the page with all the information about what rooms they're in etc cetera, etc cetera. but then if i need to reference something else that's going on in the book like this npc who's in a completely different chapter if i've got D beyond i can just do a quick search in D beyond for that npc's name and find their yes. information without needing to lose my place in the physical book on the desk
0: yeah it's it's very beneficial I I definitely don't recommend that for people who (laughs) don't have the means to don't don't be like, oh, I have to have both online and uh, physical. No, Uh, Mm -hmm. that's a separate conversation away from DMing, I feel like, Mm -hmm. but uh, I agree. Uh, Last thing I'll say about stat blocks is my wife for Christmas last year, I've always wanted to like up my gaming or upgrade my gaming uh, experiences. And so she bought me that Wizards of the Coast came out years ago. I mean, probably like eight, seven years maybe not that long ago, but years ago they came out with cards with mm-hmm. every single monster in the monster manual for uh, with broken out by their challenge rating. And my wife got me all of those up to CR 20. So I have the goblin uh, stat block on a card. On one side, it's the stat block. And on the other side, it's the goblin. So if you're playing in person, you can show people what it looks like. And I have that all the way up to the um, uh, the Tarrasque. <laughs> as well mm-hmm. so it has the Tarasque picture as well that you can use just a just crazy uh monsters that you're never going to come across so i guess there's no one way to keep stat blocks uh straight but um if you're looking for a unique experience i, I definitely recommend maybe going I say unique experience. When you're looking for a unique NPC that you want to bring to a campaign or a one-shot, maybe creating a player character sheet for that NPC is the way to go. Uh, Because that helped me not only with um, Mal's dream sequence, but also for Mondath when I modified some of her stats from Tyranny of Dragons as well. So, yeah, well, that is one section of the first question that we've (laughs) got here. So (laughs) we may get through all of your questions DIY, but we'll see.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Adjacent, though, I think, to the stat block is keeping track of spell lists. This yes. is an aspect of the stat block that I will admit I, you know, do still struggle with. Recently in one of my home games, we were getting to like a final boss battle and I'm looking at the stat block for this NPC during the middle of the battle and going, okay, he's got some spells that I'm pretty familiar with. He's got greater restoration, pass without trace, water breathing, etc. But then I'm looking at some of his other spells and I'm like, I don't think I've ever read how tsunami works or control weather. <laughs> and then it's like Storm of Vengeance I think I read that maybe once but I don't know off the top of my head how it works Mm -hmm. and so spells is a difficult thing to keep track of but we are seeing like Wizards of the Coast has specifically kind of addressed that you start to see it in Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse they're moving in the direction of instead of just giving you a big list of spells to choose from they're highlighting the ones that best fit the challenge rating of that NPC that you're going to be fighting against
0: yes uh, and I mean, there there's a little bit of a, a pushback from the community in that aspect because they're since it's not technically spells they're they're called abilities at that point. Uh, it's uh, preventing players from using a counter spell in some instances, at least in one of the earlier iterations of Unearthed Archon. I don't know if they've since changed that. I unfortunately am not up to date on that. But I agree, absolutely, Ned. There does seem to be like a 17th level wizard NPC technically can cast all these spells that he has at his disposal um, but really when it comes down to it, even for player characters in a battle, they really only have maybe like four or five at most that they're gonna cast during a battle or a social encounter to help him in a given situation, which is why it's very beneficial that which of the coast is doing this I struggle too as well just like Ned, I'll get into a battle or right before a battle and I'll be like, okay, this is their spell list and I'm like, Man, like half of these spells, I don't feel like how I've flavored this NPC. Half of these spells are irrelevant, or they wouldn't actually cast these spells. And so, right before a battle, I may change your spell or two, or something to that to that degree, to help drive the narrative of who the NPC is. Not to punish my players, um, but you know, to make sure that they what I have painted as the picture of the NPC is what the players are expecting. Because if the, all of a sudden they're like, the, uh, this NPC is afraid of water, and all of a sudden he casts Tsunami, they're like, that's, that's a little not what I was expecting there. It does definitely was not, uh, the seeds were not planted for that in particular instance. But spell lists are definitely hard to keep track of, absolutely, as are accents mm-hmm. for NPCs. Accents are terribly difficult, and I think I don't think it's hard for uh fans of iCast Fireball to go back and hear how much I have changed accents for NPCs over twenty episodes, or if they were in the beginning of the campaign and they come back at the end of the campaign, their accent is most likely probably different. Cause it's been years at that point since they were initially introduced. But Ned, do you have a specific trick for accents that you keep track of?
1: Uh, If you write down the accents that you give to your NPCs, it's a lot easier to keep track of. Like I actually did for a campaign that I ran. It was my Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign. I was like, Saltmarsh is a city that, well, a little town that's very, very core to the experience of this campaign. There are these core NPCs they're going to be running into a lot. So I just kind of went through and I'm like, okay, Gellin Primewater, he's Cave Guy from Freakazoid. Um, and then, oh, what was the name of the one lady? I can't remember all the names of these NPCs, but here's the NPC. He's John Reese davies the guy who does the voice of Gimli. This NPC is Professor McGonagall, etc, etc. And... Mm-hmm being able to have that list and being able to reference that was super helpful going through but like even in the current campaign I'm running for Improv Tabletop our Blades in the Dow Fae campaign I actually kind of called myself, there was one NPC who the first time I had him spoke, he spoke kind of deeply and gravelly like this but I forgot yeah. that I'd had him speak before and the next time they ran into him, hey, he was talking like this and yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough thing to keep track of when you're not actually like making an effort to take notes about what their accents are
0: yes absolutely so i mean just the biggest caveat as being a dungeon master is notes notes notes, notes. Take those notes notes it, even if you have to pause the game for like 10 seconds or 30 seconds and be like i have to jot this down guys i'm sorry mm-hmm. notes take the notes <laughs> because you will be like i can remember that and then the game gets over and immediately after everybody leaves you're like i remember nothing Nothing happened, I'm exhausted.
1: Because I portrayed 50 different NPCs in the course of that <laughs> session.
0: <laughs> and 49 of them are still alive you know mm-hmm. so. but yeah take the notes
1: next question uh this one should be relatively quick i think how do you decide what the dc should be in a particular moment
0: mm-hmm. yes this one uh for anybody who is not aware um dc is referred to commonly in D D and other ttrpgs as the difficulty class class i was gonna say difficulty setting but i'm like that's ds no um difficulty class there are a wide variety of different dcs not only in dungeons and dragons but other settings as well but the difficulty class for a particular ttrpg is established by uh, the core mechanics of the game for instance if and i learned this the hard way when i was trying to i was trying to take a pathfinder adventure and and port it into 5e and then I realized that every single Pathfinder DC was geared towards Pathfinder. And so my players were failing all of these checks because Pathfinder has DCs that go up to like 50. Uh, and in Dungeons & Dragons, the most difficult DCs you'll ever have are like 28 to 30 at most. So, mm-hmm. But it's they actually lay it out pretty well in 5th edition though. Um, ned, he's got his copy of the Dungeon Master's screen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The mo- I would say one of the most overlooked things probably in D&D, at least in my experience, but ned has got it right here.
1: Yeah, it's always right next to my Dungeon Master's guide because I know that if I want to figure out like what a status is going to do to one of my characters... A condition I could try and flip through the player's handbook or I could just pull out my dungeon master screen because I know it's gonna be right there but right next to those conditions there's a little table that says setting a DC and it's really just a question of how difficult do I think this task should be for the person who's rolling this die and it goes all the way from 5 for very easy up to 30 for nearly impossible so you just look at it and say is this a moderate challenge because like that's that's kind of your baseline moderate is a dc15 it's not too easy which is a dc10 it's not too hard which is a dc20 so that's kind of your baseline is dc15 and then you kind of work your way up and down from there depending on how difficult it should be for this person to succeed
0: now this this might um spawn a separate conversation here but you think of dc's that are dc5 very easy right like whoa what would be a very easy task that would require a role? Because I know there is a danger with dungeon mastering to make literally every single action that the players do make a role. This is one of a, uh, I have a good friend um, very close to me who whenever they dungeon master, she, she feels that an action cannot happen in d d without a role first being made. But that's not true, That's not abs- that's not true. But some people might confuse to allow such a low DC to say, oh, well, no, they go to pick up a cup. It's very easy to pick up a cup. Therefore, they have to roll. And so I guess, Ned, what would you caveat situations that would require a roll and would not require a roll?
1: Yeah, I think this actually probably could tie into the final question that we got from DIY, which is a question mm-hmm. about finding the balance between RP, battles, narrative, momentum, etc. For me, narrative momentum should be the thing that is constantly driving a campaign. Like, as long as the story is moving forward in a way that is fluid and logical and is making sense for the players, you know, we're not getting too bogged down in the mechanics. But even then, we do still, like, our very first episode of Crunch Squad, we talked about why do we need rules in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there is a balance that I think each dungeon master and each table is going to find for themselves, but something that you'll see in a lot of other RPGs that have more of an explicitly narrative focus than D&D 5e is this question of like, if it's not going to make the story more interesting or more exciting, if there's not like a reasonable difference that's going to be made, whether a role succeeds or fails, why are you asking for the role? Why are you asking this person to pick up a cup or to tie their boot unless it's going to have a meaningful impact, whether they succeed or fail on the story moving forward. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it might. Maybe they're in a really fancy dinner with somebody they're trying to impress, and if they pick up the wrong fork, they're going to look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. The physical act of picking up the fork is not difficult, but knowing which fork to pick up, that's when things get a little bit more tricky.
0: That's a really good caveat of, like, uh, it's very situationally based, right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, I have i mean, if you're in our Patreon Patreon exclusive Discord, which plug for our Patreon. If you, uh, for those that uh, mm-hmm. have not checked it out, uh, go check it out. It's absolutely wonderful. We have very cool discussions in there, um, and in our Discord that we had, I, my wife and I have been watching a lot of period dramas slash romance. Now these were Pride and Prejudice, um, uh, Sense and Sensibility, so on and so forth. The BBC typical stuff that you would see, and in there there is a there's a show called Emma. A uh, very popular story, Emma, right? But it, they portrayed, and I had forgotten this till we watched it again there was a woman who was invited to dinner who was not trained at all in high society. And so she didn't know where to put her napkin, how to do her fork and stuff. And so for her, it was a high stakes situation that would have determined her narrative drive for the rest of the story. And in fact, it did because then Emma, the main character, took her under her wing, etc. But for somebody who's been trained in high society and knows like these rules, you're right, Ned, it's not going to drive the story forward to make them pick up a fork at that point, but it's all I guess it's all about framing the scene of, uh, it's not the physical act of picking up the fork, it's knowing which fork to pick up type of a situation.
1: I like that. Yeah, and that's why I think, for me, narrative momentum is always at the forefront because the conditions of a specific scene are going to influence how you adjudicate that with the rules. So there are plenty of instances where I'll look at an action and say, we don't need you to roll for that. We're just going to let you, you know... If we're looking at Malamar, for example, she's a pretty trained hunter. We don't necessarily need to have her roll to cook a turkey that she killed out in the wild or something like that. She can get it cooked and she can eat it, but trying to extract an eye from a dead dragon is a little more difficult.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I like that first example. If we think of, um, I mean, if we think of Lance, he might not know how to do the turkey. So it might be beneficial for him to roll for, uh, you know, roasting a turkey in the middle of the wilderness using nothing but grit and a sharp blade. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would, that's a fun narrative choice. Now I I will just state that Ned is a lot better at this aspect than I, he has uh, a lot more experience in, um, in finding these narrative driven moments and keeping the story moving forward as a result. And so I'm grateful not only to have him on here to, Uh, have his insight in these situations but to be able to learn from him as well because these are the types of moments that we like listening to as fans of actual plays and we like experiencing as players too so thank you for your your insight on that Ed
1: no prob and I think it really does depend on what kind of feel you're trying to get from your game like At this point, you know, maybe we can say, like, the rest of this episode, spoilers for some of the recent stuff that's been going on in our campaign.
0: We'll just say spoilers up until, what, episode 91?
1: (laughs) Yeah, episode 90, episode 91, the fight against Arathotor let's let's say if you haven't heard that yet this is probably the point where we should say thank you for listening, but if you don't want the rest of it spoiled then maybe stop listening. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but like, the intricacies of that battle against the dragon if I had been running that encounter, there's a lot of stuff that I probably might have just kind of glossed over in some ways. Like, when it gets to the point where Fleeple is alone chasing the dragon underneath the tunnel, my first instinct in that moment might have been is to say okay, we're out of initiative, we're just going to have Fleeple doing his thing over here while Lance and Mal are doing all their stuff narrowly on the other side. But the way that that adventure played out, it was very important that Lance and Mal were still in the initiative order, it turns out.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. There were some critical moments in that where Lance and uh, where maybe if I had taken him out of initiative order... Mickey and Jacob would have felt that they weren't uh, at the table, so to speak, right? And that's something that for that tense moment, we need to make sure that everybody was feeling that they could contribute whatever way they saw fit to contribute in that moment, absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. And so I think, even though I, in the moment as the player, am thinking, why don't we just let me fight this dragon? I want to have my cool moment, and I'm being (laughs) impatient. (laughs) As you know, Thomas on his side is thinking about, well, no, we want to make sure that everybody's getting their time to shine. And I think taking that into the crunchier space was what was right for that moment in the campaign.
0: But I feel like, I, and I don't have any off the top of my head, but I'm sure we have had moments like that, the, the, where we've stayed in a crunchy moment in the episode where it was unnecessary and where we were, where we're like, you know what, this this isn't contributing narratively to X, Y, or Z, or to any of these players. This is just the way it's always been done, quote unquote, and so we're gonna stay in this crunchy moment. So. It takes a lot of practice, it takes a lot of finesse, and it takes knowing not only how the game is framed, but knowing your players as well, which is why we have these conversations to figure that out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) I think, you know, one of the major things as a dungeon master in figuring out the balance of RP and battles and narrative momentum, etc., is you're going to make mistakes with some of your adjudications, and that just means the next time you're under that situation, you're going to do it better.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean mistakes are definitely the fastest way to learn when it comes to Dungeon <laughs> Mastering uh, what not to do, right? <laughs> um, you can prepare and you can plan for so long, but until you actually uh, implement the plan and it goes out the window, you, you start to really see what sticks and why. what is important for you and your players at the table. I mean, that's not to say that you shouldn't talk to your players beforehand before you start a campaign or a one-shot or even a session. I've actually had a lot of conversations uh, recently with uh, ICAST Fireball, our players here, to make sure that their needs and wants of a sit of uh, sessions were being met and achieved to make sure that I wasn't just running away on my own fantasy adventure as the DM thinking that it was cool, you know, and leaving my players in the dust. But, you know, those conversations, it's uh, it you need to have them and then you get to the table and you figure out what actually happens and what you need to do moving forward. So you're right, Ned, just make mistakes and then you mm-hmm. learn from them.
1: Yeah, like recently something that we've kind of done behind the scenes is thomas and mickey and myself and jacob as well to a certain degree he tends to be a little bit more interested in the narrative but we're all pretty crunchy people and we've been looking at pathfinder second edition on our shelves for years just being like i just want to play (laughs) this game and we took some time to sit down and play through the beginner box and by that point we'd been doing icast fireball for long enough to look at pathfinder and say we can have a lot of fun playing this game It's not right for iCast Fireball though, because we have a certain momentum that we've established that wouldn't work with Pathfinder. And it's that experience that we've had of going through, making mistakes along the way and learning from them, that we're able to have those realizations in the moment. It truly is just a matter of having the experience and the familiarity with the game you wanna play and the people that you're playing with.
0: Now I'll tease a little bit. That's not to say that we won't have other systems (laughs)
1: <laughs> on ICAST
0: Fireball or uh, uh, future possible shows that we might be doing in the ICAST Fireball network or through our Patreon so keep an eye out for that um, but for when it comes to the main feed what people are expecting from the main show of ICAST Fireball 5e really does have that nice balance that we've been able to find but it's all based on your table mm-hmm. but yeah keep keep a lookout for uh, possible other systems that we might be exploring Now, I think we've got time for one more question if that's alright with you, what do you think? Let's do it. Okay, so this one comes actually from our Discord. Again, plug out for our Discord if you're not on there asking questions. This one comes from Erna Gunna999, um, very active in the Discord, asks, great questions that i love answering and diving into um i answered this on our discord but for anybody who's not there yet it's a fairly simple question but does have a lot to it so they ask i know there are a couple different ways to handle when to level up the characters in a campaign and what is your philosophy when it comes to leveling up in icas fireball so the general uh, the question of like when do you level people up (laughs) that is uh not an age- old question, but it's 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 an old question maybe uh, for ttRPGs, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: and it's definitely like there's differences between if you're doing x p mi- uh, leveling up versus milestone leveling up with x p leveling up, there is a very specific kind of progression of. You killed this many monsters, therefore you have this much XP, therefore you're ready to level up at this point. But even then, there's questions of, do you award XP to the party if they stop the goblins without killing them, for example?
0: Yeah, because very traditional, uh, I say traditional, older editions and the, uh, I guess, yeah, traditional TTRPGs did treat it very much like a war game in the fact of, like, you need to kill things to then get the experience if you avoid a situation your experience in being a fighter is is reduced and so it really was just like go in wipe everybody out go and wiping everybody out and if you avoid it you you didn't necessarily get awarded the xp unless the adventurer specifically called for it so i mean yeah they, but now that it's uh some people play it as more of a, a narrative based uh driven story or some people just uh, uh reduce the amount of combat in the game is XP the right way to go which brings up this other point the other leveling up system that you were talking about which is uh milestones right mm-hmm. and you'll see a lot especially
1: in the more recent adventures you'll see them specifically say when you reach this point in the adventure you're a level 5 now you're a level 6 now but some of the older adventures in D &D 5e i mean we're playing the oldest adventure in D &D 5e right now they're not as specific about here's the specific moment where you're supposed to level up the characters
0: yeah i mean i i don't know if they went back in it but there there are some chapters that say your players should be leveling up or they should be at level seven by this point and so if they skip parts of the adventure and they're only level five, the DM might be like, "Well, crap. What do we do?" Uh, but let's talk about the philosophy of ICF here and what, how we have approached leveling up. And frankly, I, I'll be, I'll be frank and honest about this. I've actually regretted how I approached leveling up at the beginning of the campaign. I was very mindset of like, okay, we have to hit these certain points and these milestones and then they level up. And if that takes us 20 episodes, so be it. They'll be level one for 20 episodes. Uh, And then if the next milestone is reached in two episodes, then they'll level up. And then uh, halfway through the campaign, I think we all kind of chatted or maybe just me and Ned chatted. And I just had the realization of like, you know what? It might be more conducive to Look at hours played as like a as a group when it comes to leveling up, and that's kind of the rhythm that we've come into. We've fallen into. I mean, we aren't obviously like hard and fast like eight hours of play or eight episodes means everybody levels up because we don't want people leveling up in the middle of a fight and then just getting all of their stats halfway through. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the philosophy that I've taken for ICF um, for this season one here. That's not to say that that's going to change, but there are uh, th- there is a benefit to giving, erring on the side of letting your players level up rather than erring on the side of letting them, of, of not Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like it, it's it's conducive to give in that aspect more than to hold back.
1: Yeah. I have found myself in some of my campaigns. Uh, I've run Curse of Strahd two different times. And the way that Strahd is statted out in the book is... You know, he's just kind of a normal vampire with a little bit of extra flavor on him. And there are people online who have created buffed up versions of Strahd. And I look at those and I go, that'd be really fun. But if I level up my party the way that the book tells me to level up, then we're never going to be powerful enough to reach him. So I just let people level up a little bit quicker along the way. And sure, that kind of messes with the balance of the adventure as written. But that just means I get to start bringing in more powerful monsters from the fight, which is... You know, in a game about high heroic fantasy, there's a certain aspect of that that is, you know, having a power fantasy. You want to Mm -hmm. be the awesome, cool hero who's doing cool battles and slaying gigantic monsters.
0: And I think that's key uh, of like, you don't want to feel like you're still a peasant by the end of the (laughs) campaign, right? Of like Mm -hmm. that you just scraped by. I mean, some groups may. So right? And some groups might like the, a more harsh campaign where they have to literally work uh, over every single element that they get in the campaign, which I could see myself enjoying a campaign like that, whether it's a mini campaign or long campaign with a right group.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I'd say like eight times out of 10, people are wanting to become the traditional hero with all the powers and uh, to have all of their ability unlocked by the end, right? Uh, and I think when you do err on the side of leveling up, there is that one concern that you just addressed Ned of like, well, then it becomes unbalanced you're like, it does, but then it gives you an opportunity to start injecting a little bit of yourself a little bit more into the adventure. And maybe you modify some of the stats on your own. Maybe that is your way to go into homebrew. Maybe that's your avenue. And then you quickly find out what is easy for your players to 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 defeat and then what's not. And that keeps the campaign unique anyway. So if people who have played Curse of Strahd two, three times, your homebrew is what can make it fresh and make it fun yet again. So... Don't be afraid to level up. I think that's the philosophy that I'm going to be uh, moving forward with is don't be afraid to level up your players and feeling like you're just giving them everything and maybe they didn't earn it. Well, we're just having a fun time of playing a game. And uh, if they, some some of these people have been planning for their characters to level up for so long, they'll still get that rush of excitement and real, real big joy. Because Mickey actually, she plans her characters out for like the entire 15 levels. So mm-hmm. she's like, all right, at level four, I'm going to take this and eight, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this. And so some pe- some players are like anxiously waiting and wanting that journey that they've planned for to be fulfilled. That's just, I guess it's just our ICF philosophy over here on leveling up.
1: Yeah, and I think it's cool that we just barely had this section where we talked about, as a dungeon master, you're going to learn from the things that you did and decide maybe there's some stuff you did you didn't like as much. And now here we are. You're seeing the exact example of that, of being like, maybe mm-hmm. I didn't level up my characters fast enough.
0: Yep, just always learning, always growing, always improving. And uh, it's going to make it's gonna make D&D or any system feel fresh if you keep that mentality. And it's going to allow for better stories to be told and more worthwhile stories to be told as well. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I think that's all of the questions that we have from our audience for the time being.
0: Yes. And if you want to, uh, if you want us to chat a little bit about a topic that you are curious about for DMing, or if you have a hypothetical situation that you wanted us to see how we would work through stuff, uh, or maybe at magic items that you'd like us to think about or kind of go around on here, feel free to message us at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com or just go to the Discord, the patron exclusive Discord where you can post it in either the general thread or we can even start a new thread if we uh, need to, if we get wide demand of questions there. We'd love to talk about it. We love these hypotheticals. We love just talking about the game that we love and just playing around with wonderful tables. It's been a, been a good chat. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us on this bonus episode of Commune with Dungeon Master. Ned, thank you for joining me as well. Your insight and wisdom and experience has been invaluable for me over the years. And I know our fans are gonna just learn so much from it as well. If you like what you're hearing here, leave that five-star review below on the podcast of your choice. uh, Leave a comment uh, or you can reach out to us at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us in other ways, we have social media pages. We've got Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I guess Twitter is X now. Twitter slash X, Uh, (laughs) and uh, you can reach us there at iCastFireball20. But the fastest and most sure way that you can get in touch with me, Ned, Mickey, and Jacob is going to our Patreon.com website slash iCastFireball20 and sign up for the Discord tier, where you can start chatting with us and other fans about everything D&D and ICF. Before we leave, we would be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to Improv Tabletop, where you see Ned in the GM, the keeper seat, however, depending on the system that he and his players are running through. Everything they have over there is worthwhile everything is a fun time and you can really start to see a master at work over there so go give them a listen and don't forget to leave them a five-star review on the way out lastly don't forget to like subscribe and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers but until next time i'm tom's your dm and around the table we have
1: just ned
0: let's keep that bar going and we'll see you all next time